Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Bannering the Blue Shirts. Uh, I'm Tom Merch Jr. Uh, not as dynamic or as interesting as, as Wizardry, but I'm still here. Uh, as always, joined by Mike Murphy. Mike, how's it going today? Uh, I'm doing well. I, For those who have been with the show for a while, who've listened for a long time, I've recently seen both video and photographic evidence that Wizardy, the 25-year-old frog, lives uh i still have my doubts but um apparently that abomination that came in like powder form to joe fortunato when he was a young man you know he sprinkled it into a cup like some nesquik and then he got a frog that has lived for a quarter of a century now according to joe joe's recollection of events um, but yeah, I'm doing fine. Wizardy's apparently doing fine. Um, you know, since our last show, like in the in terms of when and if, you know, hockey or this, I should say, the 2019-20 season resumes, it's looking more and more like it's when and not if. Like, it looks like Gary Bettman and the PA will bend over backwards to to make this happen, and we've heard a lot of heard a lot of different proposals and ideas tom um all of them seemingly you know just loose in structure until we get a little further along the road but we have heard some rumblings about progress made by the return to play committee or whatever the hell it's called um they're going to be working throughout this week apparently trying to get some kind of plan in place and yeah that's that's kind of it there's also a big story um, written by a former NHL player, but I'll let you take us in whatever direction we go next. Sure. So, yeah, I think that's the the place that we should first start with, um, and then we can sort of get to some of the, the lighter things and, and news um, as, as the good. show goes along. So, um, for those who are not aware... Um, Akeem Alou wrote a piece um, for the Players' Tribune, and it's going through um, some very dark incidents that occurred um, during his, his time in junior hockey. And he overarching theme is this concept of the how hockey is not for everyone, how hockey is still very much a place um, rife with racism and a lot of terrible things and it's a very powerful piece that you should take the time and read I know I reread it before um, starting the show with Mike and it's just heartbreaking when you listen and and you sort of think to yourself uh, of the things that he's describing whether it's him starting uh, as as a teenager trying to make a you know, a name for himself. Um, he's talking about his upbringing and how he didn't have a lot of money growing up and he was able to get his first pair of skates um, very cheaply. And as someone who had to had to learn English as a second language, talking about how in Canada there was this universal language. If, if you could skate, if you could do a crossover, all of these things, it meant that you were someone who belonged. And it just goes into um, a few examples, which I think Mike Mike is going to touch on, uh, particularly with Steve Downey. And it's 
2020 and it's to me it's just still sickening that these things still exist and it's no one should be surprised um we we talked a lot about this following the Keandre Miller uh zoom bombing um but it's it's a very powerful story and you need to take the time to read it you need to take the time to think about it i know that um it's it's a subject matter that not a lot of people want to talk about it may make you feel uncomfortable which is a good thing because i think that we always should be examining ourselves and just looking and seeing am i someone who is engaging in this activity Am I someone who's seeing this activity going on and not saying anything? Am I taking the easy road and just choosing to be ignorant and, and pretend it's not happening? Um, just not to pontificate or, or preach too much, but um, something certainly um, that everyone should read and, and, and just reflect on because I, I think it's important. Yeah, it was very, you know, we've we heard some of these things before, but he went into a lot more detail and I think some people might have the reaction, oh, you know, he's naming names this time around. But that is not at all what this was about. Um, you, can't, you can't be someone who has empathy and who cares about things like, you know, diversity and inclusion and not roll your eyes at the, the NHL's I don't even know what you would call it, Tom. Like, do you call it a mission statement? Hockey is for everyone. Um, you know, this... It's a statement, right? But, you know, we've seen some progress made. You know, I think, you know, the appointment of Kim Davis is a big deal. Um, I think that hockey finally, rec you know, recognizing, you know, Willie O'Ree and getting him into the Hall of Fame was well long overdue and why the hell didn't happen earlier and it's hockey has this problem right it is a sport that is more often than not most accessible to those who have privilege it, it costs a ton of money to get into hockey as a kid it's a, an incredibly cost prohibitive sport and the way the world works that means socioeconomically if you know, you're a person of color, that means the odds are stacked against you to get into hockey. And on top of that, we hear these stories. Um, you know, and Akeem's story is so heartbreaking because, you know, it. he talks about, you know, hearing racial slurs when he's a junior player and looking around on the bench and realizing, oh yeah, I'm the only black face on my bench or on the other bench. And then what he went through in the AHL and, you know, the amount of shit he got into for just not wanting to go along and be complacent with hazing. Um, you know, he got labeled as a troublemaker and all this stuff just because, you know, he didn't want to be, like, stripped and shoved into a bathroom or whatever the hell that horror story was. And then, of course, there's the whole story um, with Steve Downey who... Uh, you know, it wasn't too long ago that he was in the NHL, and he was a guy who was a really, really dirty player, and, um, you know, he got... Steve Downey, I don't know if you remember this, Tom, but Steve Downey seemed to get a lot of second chances, uh, just like Matt Cook did. Um, like, a lot of second chances. 
And, you know, what he did to Akimalu was was outrageously reprehensible. And I'd never heard of it before. And all of this points to this really shitty reality that we have no idea what it's like for men and women of color, people of all genders of color coming up through the hockey world and what it's like to be an outsider, what it's like to look around and feel like, oh, I'm alone. There's one of me. And, you know, it would be remarkable if there were two of you. And that's a really shitty reality. And when we hear these stories and when we hear, like, how many times, Tom, have we heard, you know, players getting caught or suspected of saying racial slurs or homophobic slurs? Like, we don't even hear about, you know, players getting a slap on the wrist for a slap on the wrist for misogynistic language and sexist language, right? Like guys call each other bitch and pussy all the time. It's just like it's a given. It just it's this never ending problem. And you can't have that state of affairs and have this statement that hockey is for everyone until we see more things put in a pl- we need policies we need not only do we need you know Akeem talked about uh, you know changing things at the grassroots level and I think you need to really look specifically at coaches and you know people who serve as gatekeepers between young people and hockey and the experience they have and I know USA Hockey takes a lot of pride in you know the programs they put in place and I know actually over the past you know, during COVID, they've had a bunch of really interesting uh, coaching web seminars on their YouTube page you can watch that I keep meaning to tell you and the folks uh, at Banter about, because Marty St. Louis did one actually, um, specifically about the offensive zone. It was really interesting. Um, But you have, you have to get something in place beyond just like this well-meaning rhetoric, right? Um, You know, something that Akimalu mentioned, which I wanted to bounce off of you, was the uh, implementing something like the Rooney Rule, which um, the NFL has, which requires teams to interview minorities for head coaching and senior, uh, like for executive, like front office positions. And that to me seems like, yeah, why the hell not? Like, how many uh, people of color have we seen behind benches? And, like, how many women have we seen in front office positions? They just... They don't exist. We have the same fucking 60 guys in front offices and in on coaching staffs. It's the same guys. It's just this carousel. And then, you know, we come to find that there's this... You know, this hesitancy to open up to new ideas and teams lean on good hockey men and guys who have experience and the problem is a lot of these guys who have this experience who've been around the block for a couple decades a lot of them come from a time where you grew up in locker rooms and you were coaching in locker rooms where you'd hear shit like this and you wouldn't say anything about it and we saw this happen big time with you know bill peters and and all the coaches that came under fire for you know, when Akeem Alou's name was in the news cycle the last time around, right? So, I'm all for something, like, to me, something like that Rooney rule is, that's a good place to start. 
but I'd like to see more. Do you like the idea of something like a Rooney Rule to... Like, honestly, Ted Nolan, I can think of? Off the top of my head? I, I'm not even sure I can think of another one. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's definitely should be something um, different. I know that the... Um, the NFL had been toying around with an idea and it was met with criticism that it would have seen um, some sort of draft pick compensation exchanging for teams hiring minorities and it, it didn't quite go over well. Um, but yeah, it's it's something that we talk about all the time. And the funniest thing is whenever a head coach is fired in the league, it's almost this, this concept of, okay, well, where are they going to end up next? Um, or whenever there, exactly. there's a vacancy, it's like, it's no, no, let's not look at the fact that this coach was just fired or there's a reason why they were just fired. Where where are they going to go next? And what type of impact are they going to have? And this is not to say that if you are, are a head coach and get fired that there's um, no room or potential for you to get another job and improve yeah, like, like the Joel Quinville's of the world it's it's understandable why we would ask where do we think Joel Quinville will end up but the number of coaches who get fired and then they end up as like an assistant on the coaching staff of you know a good buddy of theirs and then they get another crack at a head coaching job or you know they're the head coach on a losing team and another team that's a losing team says like hey I don't know Try something else that is pretty much the same. Happens all the time. It happens every year. Yeah, and I think you would agree that what needs to happen, it just can't be the situation of sprinkling things throughout the league because I feel that we've seen it in even in, in corporate culture where it's it's organizations are criticized because their board of directors, you know, is, is predominantly white males. And then they hire, okay, we hired a, a woman minority or he hired someone else. It's like, well, you criticize us and we change something. But if it's just one different voice, it's, it creates a dynamic where it's okay. It's that's just that one person. Like that's really fixing things. Um, yeah. Oftentimes you run into this situation where, it's like, oh, we'll have our token representation. We'll have the bare minimum, or we'll be able to say we do have, you know, you know, a a woman in our in our executive staff, and we do have a person of color among our executives. And then it's, you know, I know that some people would say like, well, what do you want from you know people? It's like, you know, what I would like is just. If things were a little more fair and balanced, and the, the playing field was leveled just a little bit more, and if you don't recognize that hockey will be at its strongest when it's a diverse community, then I don't really know how to communicate with people who don't embrace that, you know, in terms of what the economic impact of that will play out to. Don't you want more people invested in hockey? Don't you want, you know, don't you want hockey to have a stable future? How do you get that? By making it accessible to more and more people. People of every gender, every color. Like, 
it's not just for fucking white dudes. It can't be. If if hockey is exclusively for white dudes, it won't. It will not survive. Yeah, I mean the last thing that I'll say, um, and it's it's this concept of if I feel like the NHL is always saying we're looking to grow the game or we're doing things to grow the game. The easiest yeah. way to grow the game, and I understand that there are financial. Um, elements at play where it's not like if you want to be a basketball player all you really need to do is is go to a park have a ball if you want to be play baseball it's you know get a secondhand glove um, there are other sports where the barrier for entry is so low so it's easy for people to learn to play yeah, like famously soccer is what do you need to play soccer a ball you, you need grass and a ball cleats right. would be nice but it's not a necessity to get in into the sport what do you need to get into ice hockey tom <laughs> excuse me franklin just knocked over his treats you need you all the show franklin <laughs> you need all that equipment but in terms of like the appeal it would help if you have some faces you have some names you have some voices so that people who are currently not fans can say wow there's someone like me there, there's someone who sounds like me. There's someone who looks like me. There's someone from an area similar to me. Yeah. And they can then see themselves in their shoes and it forces them to, I have to tell all my friends about this. I have to tell my family about this. Or I could see myself doing this as a career. And then it, it's growing and growing and growing. And obviously the NHL is something that where that needs to happen but i think you would agree that it's all for naught if this is not also happening at all of the lower levels where like in a loose story he's talking about you know the abuse that he went through um you have the situation where, where they're children they're developing children and if they're not allowed to be in an environment where they can be safe then it's it's just all fucked up yeah and like a lot of times as awful as this is, I'm sure a lot of us have experienced this in our own our own lives. Like things like bigotry and hate can linger around and they kinda get grandfathered in, in some places. It's part of the culture you can grow up in. It's like the idea that, you know, we're all technically inherently racist. Why? Because we can't help it. It just that's the way human brains work. We we look for things that are like us and when things are not like us we have a reaction to that and that's okay i think what we need to do is ask ourselves what we can do to change not just like there's human nature but then there's also like we can rise above that and that is what a lot of what modern society is we put into place these things where it's like yeah i understand that if people look different differently than i do that they're not necessarily my enemy it's and with with like Akeem's story is so fascinating to me because his dad I think his dad was from Nigeria and his mom's from Ukraine so he was you know this black kid who's speaking Russian right like think of how unique of a situation that is but what's really tragic Tom is that he would have stood out and felt alone if he was just black right like that put everything in a perspective for me and like and you know everything he said in his article was stuff i already held to be true and stuff that i already considered a part of my values as someone who's invested in hockey 
you know, who's a journalist and a hockey and a consumer. But goddamn, it really... It, it, what was so great about his piece, which I consider to be like required reading for, for hockey fans, is it really, at, like, it kind of puts you in a spot where like you wonder what you can do differently. I think the big thing is call shit out when you see it. Call out problematic language. Call shit out. And I know some people might roll their eyes at that, but like, eh, tough shit, guys. Like, until it gets better, it's not enough. It's not good enough. We have to do a lot more. Yeah, we certainly have to do a lot more. And like I said, and like Micah said, read the article if you haven't already. Think about it. Um, Self-reflection is always a good thing. And any way that you can be part of the solution, whether it's calling people out, um, noticing behaviors of your friends, um, you know, getting getting on them and, and saying this is, you know, the wrong thing. Um, it, it's little things that can truly help make this a environment that is truly for everyone. And um, I'm not saying it's 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 going to be easy because there's people who are very hateful and they're going to be hateful, but that doesn't mean you stop trying. That doesn't mean that you look for ways where um, you you can continue to be helpful. It's just be someone who can impact change. um, However small you may think it may be. Yeah. Be a, be a part of the, the chorus of people who speak out against stuff because I think the the big thing that really I took away both from the Keandre Miller incident and you know how he was just you know assaulted verbally assaulted with hate speech when he's trying to do you know a Zoom conference interview and and with Akima Luce pieces this acknowledgement that the people who did these things Tom are hockey fans. And people are trying to act... I think some people are trying to dismiss, like, oh, you know, it's a couple bad apples, Tom. Well, those are a couple bad apples that felt, like, comfortable enough to do what they did without fear of reprisal. And that's the really shitty thing. It's just, like, you know, we see it all the time. We see, And it's not just social media where people can hide, or the internet where people can hide behind pseudo-anonymity, right? Um... But yeah, it's a great piece to read. I actually wanted to mention this to you, Tom. I didn't know this. I was looking this up uh, before the show. Akima Lu actually played for the Wolfpack for a little bit. What uh, What season was that? Uh, he was on a PTO in 2013-14. Um, he played nine games and scored a goal. Um, this was... So, 2013-14, were they, st- were they the whale then i don't remember um but yeah it's interesting right i com- that completely escaped my uh escaped my memory that he was a part of the rangers organization at one point you know on, a, on an amateur tryout or a pto rather professional tryout so 2013-14 so that probably would make sense around that time when they were making their their run so in terms of having 
extra bodies up that might have oh. otherwise been in Hartford. This was the year, 2013-14 was the, their first year back Oh, okay. the wolf pack. The year before they were the whale. The Connecticut How long were they the whale? Was that just a year? I think it was like two or three years, and then they were getting like criticized over it, and it was... Because uh... Zuccarello was, uh, was a member of the whale, I remember. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Akimalu was on the Wolf Pack along with guys like JT Miller and Dylan McElrath. That was the year where JT Miller went up and down like eight times. Yeah, interesting stuff. Anyway, I think it's time for an ad break, which is convenient because we do want to change uh, change gears a little bit. But again, definitely give that one a read. Um, especially while hockey is on pause, it's it's really important. It matters, and uh, you know, it's not a, it doesn't just matter for Rangers fans because of what happened to Keandre Miller, but it matters because if you're a Ranger fan, you're a hockey fan, and you're also a human being. So stuff like this should matter. And with that said, uh, we are going to take a break, and uh, we'll be right back. just like that we are back from the break um like mike said we're going to be sort of changing gears so um the first thing that we'll talk about before we get into what's going to be um the meat of the rest of the show before we answer your your questions is um once again sort of a update sort of no news good news whatever kind of news you want to call it (laughs) no news Uh, is news i don't know what do you know this 24-team playoff proposal seems to be getting more steam. Um, it's a format that would exclude the Rangers because it's going by points percentage. Um, basic- According to some, going by points percentage. But, like, yeah. Elliot Friedman and a couple other people have said the Rangers might be involved. But I've also heard, like you and I talked before the show, the Rangers are one of those teams where they're kind of on the bubble. And it's fascinating for a lot of reasons um, that they're one of the teams in the bubble, but it also just goes to show no one really knows what the hell's happening yet. And that's kind of where it stands. Yeah. It's pretty much um, nobody uh, knows what's happening. So we have um, basically it would be a proposal where you have some host cities, um, which would be a hub for the division. And then you would have pretty much a site, that's chosen for the conference finals and the cup final. So um, I would assume by next week we'll have some form of an update because I guess it's looking like at this point that we won't have a draft in June because I feel like unless they announce it tomorrow, it's just going to be – I feel like the teams will need about a month to prepare. So – that's the no news is news, which is, you know, whatever you want to make of it. I know that 
by the time you listen to this, it could be outdated, but you know, we still wanted to keep you apprised of what's going on. Um, so what we want to talk about now is, um, we've been having some theme weeks at SB nation. Um, we obviously had the Marvel week where we did our, our Marvel podcast and we did drafting of teams, which mine was not that popular by the fans, which it's, which is okay. Um, we hope you enjoyed Mine was the best. Mine was the best. We hope you enjoyed our Mighty Ducks draft, although I really didn't hear anything about that, so Yeah. Which I'm not honestly sure. was comforting to me because I was filled with doubt after that one. I feel like you won that one. Which is fine. It's it's you know, you you can't win them all. Um So this week is it's looking at underdogs and it's just the concept of um, whether it's a low draft pick, undrafted, overcome obstacles, and we wanted to um, you know talk about it a little bit. So I think Mike, should we first before we go into some of our favorites, we can um, just go based on what was submitted. Sure. Yeah we we put out the call asking if uh, you know who are your, some of your favorite Rangers underdogs. Um, a couple of names that popped up. Uh, Henrik Lundqvist, which I think everyone would agree is pretty tough to beat in terms of a guy going where he went in the draft and then what he ended up being. You know, he's... It's not every day you draft a guy in the seventh round, 205th overall, and you get a Hall of Fame goalie and the best goalie in franchise history. That is very hard to beat. Um, Like incredibly hard to beat in terms of a great underdog story which is so funny because like when you look at hank now you know we use a lot of adjectives for him like and you know a lot we describe him in a lot of ways but i never would call him an underdog but at at one time he was this this guy the rangers you know scouting staff was just like oh by the way we should take a chance on this guy he might be pretty good <laughs> And that changed freaking everything. Um, another name that was brought up, uh, two, one for like the team right now, is from uh, Yankee Mafioso on Twitter was Ryan Lindgren for the team right now, which I think is a good pick. Um, and for all time is Zuccarello. Um, you think about Zuccarello and his, you know, his height and everything. I think he's a really good choice for an underdog. Um, Austin Shearer picked Carl Haglin. He's another late pick. I think he was a sixth rounder, right, Tom? Carl Haglin. Um, when did Hags go? He was like a f- fifth or sixth rounder. Oh, he might have been a fifth rounder. You're right. Um, yeah, but he, he is another guy who had a, like, you know, He's now played many more games away from the Rangers than with the Rangers. And then uh, Greg Pappas also picked Ryan Lindgren. So a couple of good picks there. Um, uh, you know, he, he, Greg Pappas said, Ryan Lindgren, ever since he came over the Nash trade, he was treated like a throw-in with the potential of being a 7th D. And I think, uh, you know, I've said many, many times already that, you know, Ryan Lindgren has already exceeded my expectations, that he's looks like an NHL defenseman. So, a lot of interesting picks, but I know there's a couple other ones. The one that you and I 
talked about when we first heard about Underdog Week is that the inescapable one of Dan Girardi. Like, the Dan Girardi story is amazing to me. Yeah, it's one of those those stories that, like, we were looking at this before the show, and you sort of sort by the games played list of those who um, were not drafted. And let's see, he had 927 games played, and that that's pretty impressive. So if I can, let's see, so... 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23. So 24th of uh, all time for um, skaters in, in games played by someone who wasn't drafted. And that's really impressive. And some someone that... Um, had a very productive career i know a lot of people sort of look at girardi and, and what he was at the end but from the time he came up and and during the the runs of some of those early teams um just absolute warrior would throw his body in front of everything um play hurt and just someone that it, I don't know if the Rangers will, will see someone like that again. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to think, like, in, in terms of undrafted players in, in the Rangers, he's got to be at least number one. Oh, Zook, it's tough. To yeah, me, I mean, that's tough, too. Yeah, Zuccarello might be. I think Zuccarello edges him out for me just because he didn't go through the the decline in his the you know the perception of his play but and uh, Zuccarello also has like you know he kind of prevailed over you know what was really could have been a career ending injury you know which kind of made him an underdog again in a weird way but it's not a bad one and two in terms of guys who were undrafted I mean Girardi and Zuccarello um there are a couple more, um, you know, guys who, you know, played with the Rangers or came up uh, with the Rangers that had really, really, you know, exceptional careers. Um, but, you know, you think of even more recent guys before the show, you mentioned, uh, like, even someone like Cam Talbot, you know, it's like, it's not a bad story, Cam Talbot story, but I think without thinking too much about it I think you'd have to do Zook and Girardi and in terms of guys who were not Rangers out of the gate but became Rangers I think Marty St. Louis is the uh, is about as good as an underdog as you can get in terms of a guy who accomplished the things he accomplished during his career is absolutely incredible um, but like Girardi was an all-star Tom like it's, what was the story with Girardi? The Rangers were scouting. Who the hell is Callahan? Was it was that it was Cali? Yeah, because they had drafted Callahan, um, and he they were it was either they were on the same team or they were just playing. Um, let's see, let me look this up properly. 
but basically it was the Rangers were getting to see a lot of um, oh yeah di- they're on they're on uh, the storm Guelph Guelph yeah there we go yeah Callie was the leader on Guelph and then while they're scouting Callahan um, you know and keeping an eye on him they're like oh yeah there's this Girardi guy and then Girardi finished his career in the OHL with the London Knights um, you know playing on a team with uh, Corey Perry and Rob Shrimp and he I think that's when he won an OHL title so and then the very next year he was in Hartford he was with the Wolfpack and then in his first NHL season he made like the first you know first team all rookie team you know and like it's kind of a crazy story that he was able to accomplish. Oh no, he won an OHL title twice. I forgot, but he like he Dan Girardi had an, an amazing NHL career. Let alone what he was able to do with the Rangers. And I don't know. That's a good one for me. That's a really, really good one. Um, I'm trying to remember. The problem is I'm too young. I'm too like a lot of this should happen before. I remember Joe Mullen was a New York guy, uh, never, never a Ranger, but he's a great story in terms of someone who was undrafted. Um, I'm just like scanning down the list of guys who played in like a crazy amount of games. A lot of them ended up at, with the Rangers at one point or another, but yeah, got to give a tip of the cap. It's Zuccarello or Girardi for me. I'll give the edge to Zuccarello just because I was always a bigger fan of him. But uh, it's crazy. Yeah, I mean, Zuccarello certainly, and you bring up a good point, not having the the drop-off. And and if you include him coming back from the the slap shot to to the skull, that's something that's also, um, I guess, that you can consider. But when I think of of Girardi, I just think of someone who more, more than anything else, it was, um, he, he came in, he was given an opportunity and he just went out and played and he made himself into, uh, what was, what was a core piece for, for some of those early teams. Um, if I were to go someone else who I think was a, underdog player it's Anton Strawman and I've shared this ESPN story a couple of times and I'll I'll up it up uh, again after this but basically Anton Strawman had been bouncing around the league and he always felt like there were there was something that w- was wrong with him but he would go to the doctor and no, nothing would, would ever be found. So, um, reading from the story. So, doctors in New York initially thought Strawman had cystic fibrosis, but ultimately diagnosed him with a bronchial blockage that was the result of scar tissues in his lung, which led to an ongoing battle with infection. In the end, they prescribed a treatment similar to that of patients with cystic fibrosis. Um, and it worked. And then in the, the four years since this treatment, while employing a regular dosage of asthma medications and antibiotics, Strawman has been sick once, and he calls it by far the single and most important day of his life. Um, and the reason I sort of bring it up 
is that Strawman was bouncing around the league not because he wasn't a good hockey player, but there was something that wasn't allowing him to be at the top of his game. Yeah. And then he, he goes to this doctor. He's able to get a clean bill of health. And we see him turn into the player um, that he was with the Rangers. And then, unfortunately, they, they lose him to, to Tampa. Um, but it's just like this diamond in the rough where the Rangers sign what him. Af- he's cut from the Devils training yeah. camp. And, yeah. He was... Uh, he, was cut one of the last cuts um on a tryout with the the devils and uh the rangers offered him a one-year deal and the rest was history it's a crazy that's another great one that's a that's a fun one to me because it's you can also look at those guys who you know kind of reinvented themselves or you know exceeded expectations in a weird way you know like you could even classify i guess ryan strom in that group you know although for a very different reason you know, like strawman's reason was medical you know and i think also frankly just getting an opportunity to play so yeah there's a lot of fun angles to take with great underdogs and you know i don't i think a lot of people don't necessarily you know uh consider the rangers when we think about underdogs because i think for a lot of people outside of Rangers media and fandom, the Rangers are the money bags team. You know, <laughs> like they. I remember even uh, like watching Steve Dangle does uh, has been doing trade tree uh, videos for Sportsnet, and like he did a look back at the McDonough trade, you know, with Gomez and Montreal, and he pointed out like the Rangers used like their edge in terms of you know. The, their deep pockets like they signed Gomez as a free agent and then they turned him into Ryan McDonough it's like yeah when it happens like that it's really nice the problem is there's been a lot of instances of having deep pockets and very I don't know the nice way to say it bad decisions deep pockets small brain that's fair I don't know um, but yeah a lot of fun I, I like that you brought up Strauman because that's a great story um and, you know, there's a bunch more, really. Like, the more I think about it, like, how it's so weird how still in, you know, we still hear these stories about, like, this guy's under six foot. He's never going to make it. <laughs> like, all these stories we hear um, about, you know, like, like these things we consider to be hardships and stuff. But Dan Girardi, to me, the other thing I wanted to say about him is that Cody McLeod was undrafted. He's was recently with the Rangers. He's played 750 games in the NHL. And a lot of people might say, like, he, like, got into the NHL the hard way. You know, like, fighting, being a tough guy, you know, being a willing combatant and all that. But when I, when I think of toughness, like, yeah, you know, you think of the guys who are willing to fight, but also I, I can't think of a guy who was tougher than Dan Girardi. He was unbelievable. And to me, it's it's almost harder. It might have been harder for him in some ways to keep keep in the lineup and be noticed, because a lot of what he did like didn't end up in like a box score, and like he didn't fight very often. What he just had to like you said, he just went to work and did his thing, and he did it really well for a long time. And then he got rewarded with a big contract, and you know we all know how things kind of went pear shaped, but. 
I mean, when Dangerati was this guy who no one had heard about, and then he became a ranger, and almost immediately he, you know, became a part of this team's core. It's a crazy great story. Anyway, uh, what do you think, Tom? Time to hit the mailbag? Yeah, unless you have, like, another underdog that was really stood out to you. I mean, we could look league-wide. I haven't put much thought into it yet, though. Yeah, man, when I think of league-wide, um, obviously, if we're going off of underdog being someone that wasn't drafted, you have big names like Adam Oates, Dino Cicerelli, Boria Salming, uh, Marty San Luis. Um, those are just a few. San Luis got to be my favorite story all time for... Oh my! I just I just plugged in quickly, uh, like NHL underdogs on Google, and what story pops up? Bleacher Report: Tom Arch Jr. September eleventh, twenty thirteen. Let's see what a young Tom thought. That's what I want to do. Oh really? The ninety four ninety five New Jersey Devils. Tom, get off the show. <laughs> uh, no, but the first player you mentioned is Marty St. Louis. Ray Whitney, you also mentioned. He's another good one. Steve Thomas. Tim Thomas, Steve Thomas, Datsuk. Yeah, Adam Oates is a great one. Um, there's a lot of like there's a lot of guys who played an incredibly long time. And before the show, I did a little bit of research, um, and I was. I don't think a lot of people remember him for his time with the Rangers, but he. You know, I just recently wrote a story for Banter where I mentioned uh, uh, part of my story was the Eric Lindros trade and how crazy it was uh, that the Rangers almost got Lindros in, a, in uh, a trade, which, frankly, we could do as a show one day if you ever want to. But just because I think it's just this unbelievable what if, you know, opening this this Pandora's box of like, what the hell, how, how things would have been different, you know, would 94 have happened, yada, yada, yada. And, like, the package that Neil Smith was willing to give up for Eric Lindros was staggering. Um, anyway, a guy who was a part, who was a Ranger until he was traded to Philly uh, for Eric Lindros was Kim Janssen, um, who had two seasons with the Rangers. Um, he played a couple of years, I think four or five years in the Swedish League. But, you know, he was pretty solid with the Rangers uh, in 1999, 2000, 2001. And then he went on to play 739 games. Why am I saying Kim Janssen's name? Because he was the last pick of the 1994 draft. 286 overall. It's a fun story to me. I like guys that kind of, you know, you just, you look at these guys who go in the seventh round, like Lundquist, and you're like, how many of those guys make something of an NHL career in? Kim Janssen, you gotta you gotta consider him in the list. Just like another late pick I mentioned before the show was Merrick Zedlitsky, who was a Rangers draft pick, but they traded uh, they traded him because they didn't want to sign him to a one one way deal, and he went on to have a great career. He was another guy who was drafted late. You know, we all know a lot of the guys who were drafted late, and the Rangers held on to guys like Jesper Fast, uh, you know, Haglin, Hank, of course, um, even Mike York was a late pick who definitely exceeded everyone's expectations anyway did did you have any big picture guys Tom um league wide 
I yeah, can't. Who's your league wide? Is it is it St. Louis or is it somebody else? I think San Louis. I just think it's a really good story. Um, playing NCAA hockey at Vermont and not getting um, ultimately the the most of, of an opportunity with think I think it was the Ottawa Senators first. Then he doesn't hang with the um, the uh, Calgary Flames, and then yeah. he goes to uh, Tampa Bay. And as I've said before, the rest is history. Also, another good one, recent one, who has a connection to the Rangers is Marcia So. It's another. Great, oh, jam. Yeah, that's another great. Like, holy hell! Not only that's, is that a opportunity missed by the Rangers, but a, like. An opportunity missed by a shitload of teams. Like, no one gave him a chance. Why? Uh, he's tiny, Tom. What's he going to do? He's too small. But he keeps scoring at the AHL level. Ah. The worst part tiny. was that that was the era where one of Torts' favorite words was jam. Oh, and here you have a guy whose initials were His jam. initials are jam. For God's sakes. Like... I mean, he's really only broken out the past three years or so, like maybe four years, but like this is a guy who's had 75 points in the NHL. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just a lot of teams just let him slip right through their fingers, even though he was like a point-per-game player at the NHL level, and teams were just like, no, nah. eh, why? Oh, he's, what is it, wherever he is, he's five... 5'8", probably listed at 5'9". Um, yeah, it's a crazy one. Anyway, mailbag time. We're going to start with uh, a question from one of our patrons, Eric Carlson. From Eric, every podcast has to answer this at some point. Pretty sure it's in the rules. Knife versus bat. You're fighting an exact clone of yourself to the death. You can choose either a 6-inch knife or a wooden baseball bat. Whichever you choose, your clone gets the other. So which do you choose? Top? I take the baseball bat. That's the right answer. Because it's easier to wield, and I feel like if you get desperate, you could break it in half, and then you have one thing for each hand. That's a terrible reason. You, you had me, and then you lost me. One, no, I, who are you, Bo Jackson? How are you breaking that bat? Well, you're going to be using it against yourself, so like you have to have a strategy of like, you swing the bat and it breaks. I love you. Your sweet boy. Uh, I choose the bat because of reach. Like, if you have a six-inch knife, you know, it, I don't know if that it includes the handle or if that's all blade. Either way, you're getting, you know, at most six inches added to your reach. Baseball bat, longer than six inches. I can aim the bat at your hand or wrist and just goddamn crack it or just go for your head. Probably not a good idea to go for the head, because if the head is one of those things, if you miss it, you're just wide open. The person can duck. But I like the idea of reach. Not a bad idea. Furthermore, knowing me, if I had to fight me in a fight, I know I have like really pitiful upper body strength. But I would be a nightmare if I got on top of somebody in a fight. So I would want to keep me at at bay so I would use a bat the bat just makes the most sense to me oh, I, don't, I mean I don't, I don't care if it's wood I don't care if it's aluminum 
Because also, I'm, I'm not going to live in fear, because I also know I couldn't throw a knife like a goddamn ninja star and hit somebody. I couldn't do that to save my life. There's no way I would pull that move off. And that's the only, that's the big thing you, I think you'd have to worry about is that X factor. It's definitely a question that, like, I could see someone, I'm trying to think, like, why would someone choose to not have the baseball bat? So, let's say you and I are fighting to the death, Tom. Uh, let's say you and I are greased up, and we're in an empty swimming pool, which is my favorite uh, fight to the death arena. I have two favorite fight to the death arenas in these scenarios. One is an empty high school gymnasium. The other is the empty swimming pool. So, let's say you have the bat, I have the knife. You swing the bat at me, I throw up my left arm, sacrificing it, right? I know you're probably going to break my forearm, or shatter my elbow, or my wrist. But I'm able to get in there with the knife. Hmm. You see what I'm saying? Fair enough. But I would, if I was fighting, I would never plant myself and swing. That's the thing. I don't know. I'm kind of talking myself into the knife. Maybe I'm just, you know, just trying to lead you down a path. I was also really shitty at Little League. I think I said this on the podcast before, but I played an entire season of Little League baseball where I had one foul tip and never reached a base. And most of the time... I just was picking flowers in the outfield. It's unfortunate to not get a hit. That's rough. I didn't really want to play anyway. Anyway, let's move on to some other questions. Now that we... We know that... I'll say bat. Final answer, bat. 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 It's a nice day for a bat fight. Um... It's from a little while ago, but we want to catch up with the mailbag. It's from Tweets by Phil. Uh, by all expectations, Adam Fox has been a plus this season. What does he need to improve and to avoid a second season slump, Tom? Um, I don't know if it's so much improvement, but I would like to see him get more time on the on the penalty kill because I think that there's some defensive elements to his game that we could see more of. In terms of avoiding a sophomore slump, um, I just think try and play the same way he did this year, not come into camp next year looking to be that much better than he was. Um, I think we saw it with, with Brady Shea, and we we saw it even with Delzato too to an extent. You have this big rookie season, and then you feel like you're – ahead of where you actually are and then you you get within your own head and then you struggle so it's a boring answer but just keep it simple I think that he's done a lot with a little this year he's carrying a lot of the weight he's not had a lot of support uh from a a depth standpoint so I I I think just keep it simple I really like that answer um, Thank keeping you. It, keeping it simple, I think, is a great, like a great direction for Fox to go in. The only thing I might add, just so I'm different f- from you, is 
being confident with a puck on a stick. Like, we've seen him make decisions and moves. Like, he's a really agile, creative puck carrier. Like, even at the point, he makes these plays where you're just like, wow, look at him. Like, it's a guy who seems to, like, move as fast laterally as he does north-south. So, if anything, I'd like to see him take more risks with the puck. Um, like, the downside of that is, you know, if you're a young player and you take risks with the puck, I think you're more likely to end up in the in the doghouse. But, I don't know. I'm all aboard the Adam Fox hype train. I've, I, I have gargled that Kool-Aid and swallowed it all down. I'm all for it. Like, I think he's... He's what I was hoping for, and a lot more. So, that's a keeping it simple, but also, you know, do what you can do. I think a lot of it's going to depend, like you kind of alluded to, who he plays with, right? Like, it's going to be a big question for everyone on the defense. Uh, next question from Richard Cologne. I'm sure you got this a bunch, but would you rather a guaranteed top seven pick and a chance at a lucky lottery ball or a potential playoff run? The draft pick. Yeah, as much as I, as my heart wants Henrik Lundqvist in the playoffs again, I don't even think the Rangers would start him over Igor at this stage. And like the 2014 format is weird because, uh, you know, I think it was LeBron who was explaining like, it's not 24 teams in the playoffs. It's going to be 16 teams in the playoffs, but there'll be this kind of, you know, these regular season games and these playing games. And again, like Tom said, we don't really know if the Rangers are going to be part of that picture or not. But all that, like, just give me the, give me the pick. It's, it's, we've seen enough of this team to know that, like, they're not there yet. And that's okay. That's fine. But I, I'd rather have a top 10 pick. Yeah, like, don't get me wrong. A playoff run would be fucking awesome. It's something that I think we're all very anxious for, especially with the squad that they're building. But if you told me that we're going to have an opportunity to add another top player on an ELC that's cost-controlled, that then gives them the flexibility to do even more, you you take that, uh, you know, seven days a week, twice on Sunday. Yeah. I normally am kind of conservative with these things. Like, I know that everyone's like, you just need a chance, right? You just need to get into the playoffs. Who knows what happens? But when it's a a pick of this quality to me, I don't think it's a a terribly tough decision. Even though there is something to be said about, like, hey, give these young kids a taste of playoff hockey and all that crap. But, like, you know, I've heard and read, you know, like, Matt Duchesne is already, like, you know... uh, not really sure he wants things to just suddenly re- return in terms of, you know, I think he called it like the COVID cup. Like, this is already a really weird situation, so uh, it's hard to say how much would be gained from young players being thrown back into this weird kind of second mini season and then the playoffs. So, I don't know. Give me the pick. Um, and then I think our last question is from Alex Khalifa, which is. I have watched... Oh, no, I, we have one more. I'm sorry. It's Jason Silverman we'll start with. Do you think Kraftsoff plays in Hartford or with the Rangers next season? What do you think is the ceiling? 
first liner, second line two-way guy. Do you think he can learn from last season? Thanks to stay healthy. So I would say that Kraftsov is with the Rangers next year. I don't know if he's there to start the season. In terms of upside, I want to say it's tough because we haven't seen enough of him to make a determination. So I, I want to keep that open-ended. But in terms of the organizational depth, I would think that he's someone who, more likely than not, is is a second-line guy. And I'm not going to rule out his potential of being more than that. But you look at the wings they have locked up. Panarin, Kreider, you have Kako, you have Buchnevich. So even then and there, it's going to require some moving around and potentially people going to off wings and and things of that nature. So uh, I would say second line is a is a good spot for now. I'm still sold on the idea that he has first line potential. I don't think he's really a two way kind of a guy yet. Like he can develop into that. I don't think we we can really get a fair idea of what. Kravtsov is, given how kind of crazy his season was. Um, Like, everything about it was just batshit, which is crazy, because if you remember, he was so promising. He looked so good in the preseason to me. I was like, oh, damn, this kid might be ready already. But, you know, obviously that's not how everything turned out um, for for Kravtsov. But I'm leaning towards him being here, with the Rangers next year as opposed to the AHL. If he is in the AHL, he really, really needs to be power play unit one, first line, and played with established guys who can make a difference, Um, which will be interesting because there's also a lot of changes that Hartford's roster could go under, uh, you know, before next season gets underway. I like Vitaly Krasnov. I still think highly of him. Um, I feel like you know, it, I think it's tough for Rangers fans because a lot of these first-round picks we they've had with these forwards like, you know, Leah Sanderson, Kravstov, like, things have not been necessarily smooth sailing. It's been a lot smoother for the D uh, in terms of, like, Nils Lundqvist and Keandre Miller. Um, and even, you know, Capo Caco's rookie season was underwhelming, but I, I'm not too worried. I think he'll be fine. I think the big thing for him is going to come down to opportunity and confidence. I think sharing, being in the same locker room as Artemi Panarin and Pavel Buchnevich would be a very, very good thing for this kid. Um, anyway, that's what I think. Uh, and now the final question, Tom, is from Alex Khalifa. I've watched several hockey documentaries while staying home. Thanks for staying home, Alex. Uh, do you have a favorite? I know you and I both have a couple of shared favorites, Tom, but you can lead us off. So, favorite so far through the the quarantine pause, whatever you're calling it, uh, Red Army was really good. Um, it was very entertaining, very informational, and there's a couple others that I, I'm trying to make time to, to watch, but that that's the one that st- stuck out to me so far. Yeah, Red Army is fantastic. Um 
Like, Fetisov as a character, let alone his story, like his hockey story, just the way, like, he conducts himself in the interviews in that documentary is hilarious to me. Like, he barely pays attention to the interviewer. Um, like, he's checking his phone, and then he'll talk about stuff, and, you know, when he wants to be a closed book, you cannot open that book. Like, he, Not he now. Will, On phone. Will, yeah. <laughs> He'll only give you as much as he wants to, and I don't care if you try honey or vinegar, you're just not going to get anything else out of him. And to me, that that made him as a storyteller so fun. Um, I, st- I want to see Russian 5 still. Uh, what's interesting to me is a lot, like, if you look especially on Netflix and, and shit, like, a lot of these documentaries are specifically about fighting. Um it seems like you'll find more documentaries about fighting stuff like Ice Guardians um, was the other one that I dropped the gloves. There's a, there's a bunch of them where it seems to be easier to find those, um, which is a bummer to me. But if I had to recommend another one, and I, I know I've talked about it on the show before, is the, uh, the 30 for 30 on John Spano called Big Shot, which... I don't think it's highly rated on IMDb or anything, but as a someone who f- grew up with the Rangers and followed the Rangers, like I was unaware of that this went on and digging into this, learning about it, it is an unbelievable story. Um, and that one, I've got to say, is is definitely worth worth watching. Um, there's also another thirty for thirty was. King's Ransom, which was the the Gretzky trade, which is pretty good. I liked it. I think that get, that one gets hyped just because it's the Wayne Gretzky trade, which, you know, like everyone, the whole thing there is like, Wayne Gretzky will never get traded. Oh, he got traded. Um, but yeah, those are the, those are the couple I, I would recommend. I'm trying to, like, there was one other fighting one I can't really remember. It doesn't really matter, but... Uh, yeah. Oh, like something gladiators. Anyway, um, ice ice guardians. Ice guardians was one. I think you can watch that on Netflix now. I think it was mm-hmm. like last last gladiators, something like that. Last the, of the gladiators. Yeah, because it's the whole. Uh, it's a documentary that you know. I think Kevin Westgarth was in it. I'm trying to remember, but it's all about like, you know, the role of the tough guy and the enforcer, a guy who's. Like, look, trying to understand it through, like, tribalism and, like, you have someone who's a part of your tribe, your team, who's willing to do anything for his teammates. You know, like, skate through a brick wall, you know, throw his knuckles at another guy. And, like, it's interesting, but, you know, I... I've, I spent a lot of time a couple of years ago reading every angle of the... Uh, the fighting and hockey debate and it just exhausted me to the point where every argument I've heard since is just the same argument like interestingly enough while I was working on uh, a piece that went up on Banter today which will probably be yesterday for when the show goes up um, I looked into it's funny because I pitched like Netflix documentaries uh, just to no one in particular and back in the day it used to happen a lot it was what Stan Fisher would call hockey a frontier game, Tom. A frontier game. Uh, where high sticking got out of hand and stick fights happened. 
which sounds exactly as horrifying as it was. Players would just swing their sticks at each other. And Clarence Campbell, who was the president of the NHL around the 60s, explained, like, fighting is a good safety valve for hockey because if you don't have fighting, players might do worse things. Which, to me, just is like, well, are we talking about men here or animals? I don't know. But hockey's history is really, really bloody and crazy when it when it first kind of tried to get organized. Like, there were a lot of deaths and stuff, if you look into it. It's very different from the game we know today, thankfully. Anyway. I think that's good. That's a good list. Like, I, I, I know there are a couple other hockey docs I need to see. Yeah. I, I, I'll have to look at my list again and, and see if there's anything that's now on Netflix that wasn't before but also if people have um, suggestions, anything that they've enjoyed watching, feel free to, to let us know. Yeah, and this goes without saying, but if you've ever been someone who's like, ah, I don't know, I don't want to ask a question or uh, submit a topic, we've never needed questions or topics more than we do now. Uh, if you want to ask us about fighting with a bat and a knife, if you want to ask us things about animals, if you want to ask us Things about baseball. Hell, I'll talk about baseball. Whatever you want to ask. Uh, send them in using bantering points or if you're a patron over Patreon. And, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll get to them. Uh, you know, we're all hanging in there during this. And, you know, hope everyone who's listening is as healthy as you can be. And staying safe, staying responsible while this goes on. Like Tom mentioned earlier in the show, it sounds like we're, we'll get an announcement of some kind in the next week about what might happen in terms of the 2019-20 season resuming, but I think a lot of signs are pointing to the draft happening after the season concludes as opposed to before, and I don't know. It's confusing, Tom. It's a strange time to be a sports fan. It certainly is, and we we appreciate all of your support, uh, and especially our, our Patreon supporters. A six-foot gap in our Naho- Adam Nahoek, in Gaspar, Amriel Kistner, Andrew Chicagov, Andy White, Ante Viola, Arch Williams, Beezer, Ben Pierney, Bjarner Osterheim, Bob Kawa, Bobby Callahan, Captain America, Chris Abibi, Chris Lucas, Chris Marco Trigiano, Clark Carroll, Craig Laughlin, Daniel Duzen, David L. Singer, Eric Cohen, Eric Carlson, Fancy Lawrence, Frank Menino, George Lippman, Igor Zavosky, James Dengels, Jimmy Bussell, Jeff Owen, Jermaine Francis, John Pretzapelski, John Reppy, Jordan Sassone, Justin Walsh, Keith Franchillo, Kevin Mead, Kush Tastic, Kyle Napolitano, Matt Bader, Matthias Olson, Michael Alsante, Michael Kanek, Michael Marcus, Michael Silvers, Nick Antropov, Nikolai Offman, Panarin 2020, Patrick Landl, Brennell Powerhouse, Russ Vent, Sammy Vogel Seidenberg, Sean, Stieg Bialbach, Stink Fleeman, Tall Guy Rob, The Ninja's Ninja, The Tin Man, Tori from Manhattan, and Trevor Kempner. Uh, thank you again uh, to all of our uh, Patreon supporters. We um, appreciate uh, everything uh, you do for, for the podcast. Yeah, thanks everybody. Uh, be good to yourselves, be good to each other, and we'll catch up with you soon. Take care, everyone, and uh, we'll see you next week. Bye.